Welcome to Nighttime. I'm Dave Wager, your host, and for the next half hour, we hope to talk about something that'll help sort life out. Our minds often get scrambled with the preponderance of words that seem to be going around. So I thought I'd add some to it. For the next half hour, I want to calmly talk about prayer. What a privilege it is to be able to come to God and talk to Him about anything that's on our minds. Knowing that He loves us and has a plan and can fulfill the plan as we come and yield ourselves to Him. Many people have spoken much about the idea of prayer. And I thought I would take tonight and read some words from Andrew Murray and from Dr. Charles Blanchard, the second president of Wheaton College from a book called Getting Things from God that uh, was written many years ago. I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. Andrew Murray said, It is the cause of a deficient spiritual life. It is proof that, for the most part, our life is still under the power of the flesh. Prayer is the pulse of life. By it, the doctor can tell what the condition of the heart is. The sin of prayerlessness is proof for the ordinary Christian or minister that the life of God in the soul is in deadly sickness and weakness. Much is said and many complaints are made about the feebleness of the church to fulfill her calling, to exercise an influence over her members, to deliver them from the power of the world and to bring them to the life of holy consecration to God. Much is also spoken about her indifference to the millions of heathen whom Christ entrusted to her, that she might make known to them his love and salvation. What is the reason why many thousands of Christian workers in the world have not greater influence? Nothing save this, the prayerlessness of their service. In the midst of all their zeal, in the study and in the work of the church, of all their faithfulness in preaching and conversation with people, they lack that ceaseless prayer which has attached to it the sure promise of the Spirit and the power from on high. It is nothing but the sin of prayerlessness which is the cause of a lack of a powerful spiritual life. So again, that was from Andrew Murray. Dr. Charles Blanchard says, What is an answer to prayer? I have repeatedly heard beloved brethren say that when God declined to do things which his children desired, the answer was real as when he granted things which they desired. This statement is sometimes made in this manner. God says sometimes yes and sometimes no. No is really an answer as yes, so that prayer is always answered. It has never seemed to me a cruel trifling with the souls of men to teach in this way. Of course, I do not mean to charge those who thus speak with intentional cruelty or trifling, 
Nevertheless, that which they do seems to me heartbreaking piece of work. Here, for example, is a mother praying for the life of the child. She, as well as she knows how, asks God to spare the life of her child. But she is not well taught as to prayer. She does not know exactly what prayer is. She does not know how to pray. She has never been taught how to pray. In some essential particulars, her requests do not take the form of acceptable prayer. God cannot grant her the thing that she desires in the constance with his own character. He does not. Her child dies. She is perplexed and distressed. She says to her religious advisor, God does not answer my prayer, has refused my prayer. He says, Oh no, God has not refused your prayer. He has not failed to answer your prayer. He has just said no. I do not believe that this teaching is true, and I am sure it would not be a comfort to a mother whose heart lay cold and heavy under the shadow of a little grave. Once again, I'm reading Getting Things from God by Dr. Charles Blanchard. When Business Troubles Harass Here is a man who is in business difficulty. According to his best light, he prays for relief from his financial embarrassments. But he does not know how much about prayer. He has not been a praying man. He has been a man of the world, though, a member of the church. He has not been a student of the Bible. He does not know what it teaches on the subject of prayer. He does not know what the conditions of acceptable prayer are. Blindly, ignorantly, in a heedless ignorance, he thinks he prays to God for relief. It does not come. His banknotes go to protest. His estate is scattered to creditors. He becomes bankrupt. He says, why did not God answer my prayer? The fact may be that he has never prayed at all, but in his religious advisor says to him, God has answered your prayer, but he answered it no. I do not believe that teaching of this kind is true. I am sure it would not be helpful to effect to an afflicted person. He would look upon this explanation as trifling with his serious difficulty. I think he would justly regard so, so regard it. When Tempter Sales is the next section of Dr. Blanchard's book. Here's a man who is in sore temptation, the world and the flesh and Satan combined to destroy him. Opportunities coincide with inclination and he falls into shameful sin. His name is dishonored. His family is broken up. The church of Christ suffers. The neighborhood in which he lives is demoralized by his sin. At the time when the temptation was strong upon his soul, he asked God to deliver him. He says he prayed. He thinks he did pray. And he says that his prayer was unanswered. He believes that it is possible for men to pray and not receive the thing that they desire or goes to his religious advisor, who says to him, Oh yes, brother, your prayer was answered. God just said no. I do not believe this teaching to be true, and I do not believe it to be a comfort to help anybody. I think it would tend to make infidels rather than Christians. 
For this man very likely was like the one of whom I spoke a moment ago, a man who had never prayed in his life, a man who had never had a child spirit. He did not love God, but he loved things, loved to eat, loved to drink, loved to wear good clothes, loved to live in a good house, bought these things, gave his heart and mind to them, read the newspapers and magazines, anything except the Bible, never searched the scriptures, never knew what God required of men who prayed, did not really know how to pray, did not pray out in the time of stress as a wild animal groans when caught in a cyclone or when he feels the pull of a halter that is drawing him on the killing block. Why should such one say that God has not answered his prayer? Why should he be told that God has answered his prayer, but has said no? The fact is the poor man has not prayed. I do not forget that God is very patient with our ignorance, and where he finds the heart right, he attaches small importance to words, but he does attach importance to heart attitude. If the heart does not pray, the man does not pray. No matter what his words may be, we ought not say to persons who do not pray, have not prayed, do not know how to pray, that God answers their prayers, only he answers them no instead of yes. An answer to prayer is gaining the thing which a child asks of his heavenly father according to the directions which his father has clearly set down. If a saint prays for healing for himself or his child or his friend, and God answers his prayer, the sick person will be recovered. If a saint prays in scriptural fashion for relief from financial difficulties, he will be relieved. If he prays in a scriptural fashion for victory over the powers of evil, he will obtain victory. An answer to prayer is a, is a granting of the thing desired. Saying no to a request is not an answer to prayer in any real substantial meaning of the expression. When God answers prayer, he says yes. If men have made many petitions which they consider prayers, on which they have not realized, the first question for them to ask is whether or not they've really prayed. Of course, it would be of help to them to decide whether or not God always does answer prayer. I mean, I grant the things for which petition is made. If he does not do this, if it is true that saying no is an answer to prayer in a sense in which ordinary people use the term, then he need not be surprised. If an answer to prayer means the granting of the thing which request is made, then God answers prayer or he does not. If at times he does not answer, all the sufferer needs to do to submit to the inevitable. That is all he can do. But if God does not answer, and if there is a difficulty with himself, if the prayer is not prayer, but a form of pretense, then there may be help. If he can learn the difficulty and remove it, he may receive the answer which he desires. I believe the question discussed in this chapter to be of the first importance. If this teaching is correct, then the one who has brought his request and has not received his answer is put upon an investigation. If answered prayer is not prayer which produces the result desired, then another course is obviously called for. Whatever may be found to be true 
as to this question will determine the whole prayer life of the Christian. Let me once more record my conviction that answered prayer is prayer which accomplishes the result desired. To say that answer may be yes or no, and that the latter is really an answer as the former seems to me trifling with the sore hearts and the great needs of man. Now I read this to you because I think it's a different point of view than I've read before. I do think that God can say no to something, but I think that as we pray in the Spirit of God, we know that we're asking for things that we shouldn't be asking for, so we shouldn't be surprised. If I'm asking God to fulfill a self-centered desire at the cost of me becoming who I should become, then no should be the answer. But I'm not sure that that's what praying is about. Praying is praying in the Spirit. Praying and asking God to be a part of whatever I am doing. The goal in life is to have the same mind frame that God has. We want to show the world who God is through the circumstances of our life. If the only alternative I'm giving God is to heal me from my disease, then he's not going to answer that if the disease that I have is necessary for me to come home out of this world into my everlasting arms of my Father, or if it's because I need to be in a certain situation to meet people in the medical world, then I'm asking something that shouldn't be answered the way that I'm asking it because I'm not thinking of all of the ramifications of the request. I think we can keep, to keep things simple here by understanding that if we ask God to do something that is against his will, then obviously we're not going to get an answer to the affirmative that we would like because it's against his will. And we should know the things that are against his will and not pray for those things. If I am a self-centered individual and I'm trying to live a self-centered life and I'm asking God to supply me all of those things I need to remain self-centered, then he should say no to those things. Now, my request was for him to give me things to remain self-centered. So he didn't answer that request. I understand what Charles Blanchard is saying. To pretend that he did answer it by saying no is more a play on semantics than it is anything else. Indeed, no could be an answer. But I asked for something that would be against the way that God would act, so he wouldn't answer it. And sometimes his silence is just that, silence, because you and I are not in the place that we need to be at this point. See, I need to come to God as a child and come to him and say, Our Father, my Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Boy, I start like that, and all of a sudden I'm putting myself in the will of God rather than trying to impose my will upon God. Let's take a look at Matthew chapter 6, starting with verse 5 where we see the Lord's Prayer. It says, And when you pray, you must not 
be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. We're told right away that there's a way we shouldn't pray. So if I'm praying in a way that I shouldn't pray, and I'm expecting God to answer me, then should he answer me? We're told not to pray in a way that shows our importance to everybody and our importance to God. I say to you that they've received their reward. Verse 6, But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So when I pray, I pray to God. It's a personal conversation between me and Him. He's my Father. I go somewhere where I can concentrate on talking to him, where I can hear his voice, where he can hear mine. Verse 7. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they will think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. When you go to God, you don't have to be religious about it. You don't have to say the right words. You don't have to make sure it has the right format. Those are not the things that matter to God. It's our heart that matters to God. However, if I'm not living my life right, and I'm only praying and using God rather than loving God, if God is becoming one of my servants that I go to whenever I need help and demand that he come and relieve me of my pain, When the pain is self-inflicted, then that's a different kind of prayer. I'm not sure that he says no when I talk in those terms. I think he doesn't answer. It says here, don't be like the pagans. Don't be like those who don't know God and just use a lot of words. But pray like this. Let's take a look at the example of what he says to do. It says, pray like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We start by calling God our Father. Notice it doesn't say my Father. It says our Father. So many times we get so singular focused. The whole world needs to be about me. The world needs to be about my feelings, my understanding, my perspective. Those who pray right, they pray to our Father. They realize that God is the Father to all of those who have come and put their trust in Jesus Christ, and we have brothers and sisters all over the world. He's our Father. Not just my Father, but our Father. When I read this, I quickly go through the Lord's Prayer, and I see, pray like this, Our Father, your kingdom, your will, give us, not me, forgive us, not me, Lead us, not me. Do you realize that the Lord's Prayer teaches me to pray in a way where I'm not self-centered? It's not just about me. It's not just about relief for me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. I begin by talking to my Father with great respect and reverence. Because I'm acknowledging right from the beginning that God is my Father, the one who knows, the creator and sustainer of life. I'm putting God in the right spot. 
When you put God in the place that he's supposed to be, you don't make demands of him. If you make demands of him and then you say he didn't answer my prayers, then I'm not surprised. Because we don't make demands of God. This is really not about my faith. It's about God's faithfulness. It's really not about my ability. It's about God's supernatural ability. When I come to him, I'm come to him as a submissive son. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. One of the things that I'm longing for is that God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I've so often heard that God's will will always be done and that we can do nothing to destroy his will. In one sense, that is true, but in another, it's not. God is sovereign, yet he allows me to make a choice, and my choice will either allow me to be in the will of God or outside the will of God. It is not God's will that any should perish, but people will perish. We are to long for the time where God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because God's will is not always done on earth, and the ramifications of God's will not being done here on earth is devastating. So we need to pray that God's will be done on earth. Now think about my attitude as I begin to pray like this, where I acknowledge God as my Heavenly Father, where I come to Him with tremendous respect, knowing that he is the creator and sustainer of all life, knowing that he loves me, knowing that he has the power and control of the universe, that he can do anything by the word of his mouth, and desiring that his will be done, not my will. Immediately, I'm kind of soft on demanding God do anything. As I prayed for my wife to get well and be healed from the cancer, For all I know, God has healed her from the cancer. But if he has not, there is a plan there because my desire is to ask God to fulfill his will in this world, not my desires. As I come to God, I'm not making a list of demands. I am trying to align my life with his plan. So as I try and align my life with his plan, then as I pray in that context, his prayers are, my prayers are answered. You say, oh, that's a cop-out. Well, if you think that God has become some kind of sugar daddy in the sky where we go to him and we just say, hey, we need this, and he provides it or he doesn't answer it, then once again, you haven't understood who God is. But if you come to him as a father in heaven, with the due respect that he gets, with the reverence of his name, understanding that his will should be done on earth and desiring that his will be done on earth. And we look to him to supply our needs for this day. Give us this day our daily bread. God, today I look for you to supply the needs for me and my family. They don't come from my employer. They don't come from the local farm. They come from your hand. And we look for you to supply what is necessary for us to live today.
there is much more than just the bread that we eat that's necessary for us to live. And so every single day that we're alive, we should be thanking God for the provision of life. And forgive our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, please forgive me for the things in my life that I fail you today on and others, just like I forgive those in my life who have sinned against you and me. I'm not sure I always like praying that way. Because if God forgives me like I have forgiven others, I'm not sure that's a good thing always. This idea of praying has some personal responsibility within it. I've often said here on this program and to the students at Nicolay Bible Institute that if you beat your head on a rock, you're going to get a headache. If you ask God to stop the headache, he'll probably not answer that one. He might tell you, quit beating your head on the rock because I made your head to hurt if you beat it on a rock. So I can pray, give us this day our daily bread and be thankful for the sustaining power and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. What an innocent, beautiful prayer. God, I really don't want to fight. I don't want to be led into temptation. I cannot beat the evil when he is smarter than me, but he's not smarter than you, so defeat him. Defeat him, Father. Don't allow him to get me. I think I have often told God that, that Satan is smarter than I am. See, I do believe that God is older than I am and smarter than I am and loves me and that I can trust him. I also believe that Satan is older than I am, smarter than I am. But he doesn't love me, so I can't trust him. And that's the difference. But I need God to defeat Satan. I can't. So a child who understands his proper place before God understands that he's dependent upon God to keep Satan away because Satan can chew on us and destroy us before we even know it. Verse 14, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others and their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Then it goes on to talk about when you fast, you don't have to look like you fast because it's really not about people recognizing who you are. You know, as you go through this passage, you realize that healthy people understand their obligation to show the world who God is, not who they are. And their prayers are lined up with that with the idea of showing the world who God is. And if I am going to just pray in a way that says, God, relieve me of my pain and tension, even though I don't seek God at all, I don't seek his way, I don't talk to him as a father in heaven, I don't talk to him respectfully, I demand him to do what I want him to do, I want to use God rather than love God. If I'm really not concerned about his will being done on this earth, if I'm not very thankful for the, the things he has done for me to keep me alive today, the bread, the, the oxygen, the, the weather, whatever it might be, if I am judgmental and angry with others because of what they've done and I will not forgive them because they've hurt me and they should never hurt me like that, 
and then I pray and say that God answered me either way? I can understand what Dr. Charles Blanchard is trying to come across as. Now, both myself and Dr. Blanchard are people. If you really want to learn how to pray, I encourage you to go and look at Matthew chapter 6 and read it. I encourage you to enjoy God and to spend time with Him. To really pray as you walk with God and walk in the Spirit and allow God's Spirit to even pray for you. There are times where I am silent and I actually tell God that I don't know what to say. And I trust that God's Spirit would be praying for me because God's Spirit knows what to say. There are many people I don't know how to pray for. Because if I pray for their comfort and God needs them to be uncomfortable to bring them to himself, I don't want him to answer that one. God loves us. The simplicity of it is to come to him as his child, who he loves, and act like he loves you. And talk to him as a child would his father. If you're not in God's family, you can't do that. But if you really are in God's family, and you are a child of God, then you can come to God and talk to him about whatever's on your heart. And allow him to steer your heart to where it belongs. Well, hopefully this has inspired at least some thought on prayer. I encourage you to get into God's Word and let God's Word always be the final say into what you believe and what you think. Certainly I shouldn't be that, and Charles Blanchard or Andrew Murray shouldn't either. Thank you for listening. I'm Dave Wager here in the studios at Silver Birch Ranch on the campus of the Nicolay Bible Institute. Good night for now.